the important point is that when you're choosing, particularly lesson plans, um, just to remember that there is no one size fits all lesson or program for RSHE or PSHE education. And to be effective, any teaching resource must be tailored to the needs of your pupils and your school. Hello and welcome to the final episode of RSHG Ready. It's been great to hear from some of the leading voices in the education sector about the game-changing introduction of the statutory RSHG requirements. And we've had some lovely feedback, so I do hope those of you who've been with us from the beginning have enjoyed the series. Um, we've already heard from Jenny Barksfield from PSHG Association and Lucy Emerson from the Sex Education Forum in other episodes. Join me again here for the final episode to talk about age-appropriate resources. Unfortunately, on the day we recorded this one, we weren't able to use our normal recording software, so apologies if the sound does drop out. Uh, and just a quick word on Jenny and Lucy as well, in case you haven't heard the previous episodes yet. Jenny is Deputy CEO and Principal Subject Specialist of the PSHE Association, which leads the association's subject specialist team and partnership projects for local authorities, charities, and other organisations. Uh, Lucy is Director of the Sex Education Forum. She leads policy and campaigns actively to secure children and young people's entitlement to good quality relationships and sex education. And on the face of it, uh, age-appropriate resources might seem like a strange topic for us to cover. Um, you might think, oh, most resources kind of give an age recommendation anyway. So let's join the conversation with Jenny's answer to why this is such an important topic for colleagues to consider when they're choosing their RSHE resources. Well, I think it is crucially important, mainly because in RSHE, we can't make any assumptions about pupils' prior learning or their existing knowledge or skills based purely on their age or year group as in the way that we might be able to in most other subjects. And there are consequences if we get it wrong, um, if we're not pitching it right for our pupils. Um, so if we don't start where they are in terms of their knowledge, understanding, attitudes, beliefs, skills, then, we'll, then our lessons are likely to either be incredibly boring and considered irrelevant, or they're going to be inaccessible and over their heads and again seen as irrelevant by our pupils. Um, it's also important that we think about not just age appropriateness, but developmental appropriateness as well, um, particularly for pupils with SEND. But this is important for all pupils. Again, uh, it's slightly different in other subjects, but in any aspect of RSHE, it's important that we're getting it right in terms of a young person's development as well as their chronological age, as the two may not always um, coincide and when we're talking about subjects as diverse as relationships, drug and alcohol education, it's important that it's readiness and developmental appropriateness as well as age appropriateness. Thanks for that, Jenny. Uh, and what exactly are we talking about when we say an RSHE resource? Because uh, I'm sure uh, many listeners out there will have memories of scary videos of babies being born and endless worksheets. Is that it? 
Not at all. A resource can be so many different things. It could be um, an object, it could be a puppet, it could be a storybook, um, it could be hoops that are used to stand in um, or equipment in the classroom. It might be a complete pack of videos or, or lesson plans. Um, it can take lots of different forms. And I think um, the key thing is for, for teachers to feel that they are making a genuine choice from a wide range of resources available and also um, adapting those resources to meet the needs of their particular group of children and young people. And just to add to, to what Lucy was saying, obviously, as Lucy said, a lot of those resources can be used really flexibly with different ages and different developmental stages with pupils. So I suppose where we have to be most careful is with published lesson plans when it actually states a year group um, that's when we have to be particularly careful that we are um, choosing carefully and adapting appropriately and not just assuming that um, a lesson plan that says it's for year seven or year four will will be appropriate for year seven and year four without any adaptation and it might be that we want to use them actually in a different year group in our school and I guess that's something that colleagues can do uh, in conjunction with using local data uh, and in collaboration with the healthy schools team as well, if they have those resources available to them. Absolutely, yes. And we'll say a little bit more about using data, I think, later on. That's great. Uh, and as we've done in other episodes, I just wonder if it'd be useful maybe to, to recommend a starting point for colleagues uh, for when they're choosing resources uh, to meet the statutory RSHE content. Yes, the statutory guidance, as I'm sure um, people will have noticed by now, only prescribes content by primary and secondary phases and not by key stages or year groups. So it does leave schools to decide when to teach that content to its pupils. And obviously that's not always easy or straightforward and it's perfectly understandable that schools will be tempted uh, perhaps to adopt a resource that appears to have done all of that for them um, but it's important not to start with the resource itself and just simply base your program on that without thinking about tailoring it uh, to your school to your pupils so we need to start with the school local and national data that we mentioned a moment ago um, we need to think about our baseline or needs assessment about pupil voice parental engagement and also reference materials such as the the program of study um, the PSHE association's program builders and sex ed forum has excellent age guides for sex education and materials like that will be hugely supportive in working out what to teach when for your pupils. So yeah that's interesting Jenny kind of thinking about where this learning falls uh, in a young person's time in school whether that's primary or secondary. Uh, I just wonder Lucy if you kind of have any more thoughts on that um, and the, the kind of just-in-time approach as well because that's something that colleagues need to be careful about. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, looking back to our own experiences of, of relationships and sex education, sometimes we were provided with information too late or just in time um, for our needs growing up. And it's really important to question ourselves, I think, and ask why we are introducing a certain resource or topic when we are. And is it to fulfil a, a kind of just in time approach to something like learning about periods? Um, just before girls might start their periods? Or could it be done 
um, a little bit earlier? And then what would the suitable resource be to, to kind of approach that topic at an earlier stage and then have some, some foundations to build on? Um, and I think learning about periods is quite an interesting example because um, it is often taught as late as possible rather than a little bit earlier, rather than involving um, boys fully in the learning as well as girls. Um, and it also throws up some interesting questions about what, what resources to use. Um, and one of the resources will be handling menstrual products. Um, and we need to think about making sure we've got um, a wide range of menstrual products to look at. So we're looking at things like reusables, um, as well as um, uh, menstrual cups. And children will find it really fascinating to handle those objects. Um, but it's important to think about how, how they're going to explore them, what the questions are, um, what will be shared um, through the group work. Um, and that's where explaining to parents how resources um, are used is really important too, because they may have some um, something in their mind about how those resources would be shared and used in class that isn't, isn't the reality. Um, I've seen some great examples where teachers have done little demo videos showing how they would teach about a topic um, like periods or puberty. And actually, that's incredibly useful for parents who may also be wondering, well, how am I going to bring this up? Will it be through a book? Will it be by looking at materials like menstrual products? Um, there are lots of different ways in. Um, so some creativity there. Um, and just asking that question again, um, are we doing a just-in-time approach or, or could we build this topic up um, by starting a little bit earlier? And I think it's it's really interesting hearing you say that, Lucy, about teaching about periods. And, I, and I've often thought that one of the reasons it's often left so late is actually kind of adult sensitivities rather than children's needs and the adult sensitivities taking over that sort of reluctance is it too soon to go there which you would never have with something like road safety so there's never an argument that it's too late to start teaching children how to cross the road safety we don't wait until they're you know walking to school on their own to to tell them how to cross the road safely we do it from when they're in their pushchair we're talking them through waiting for the green person to walk across the road and and and, and I think it's how can we how can we get that same sense and understanding, I suppose, amongst teachers, amongst parents, amongst everyone that that, you know, there's all of this groundwork that we can we can lay before children are actually in that position themselves that will ease them into that understanding and build the understanding as they grow older that just make, that obviously makes sense with something like crossing the road so why does it not make sense with something like going through puberty um so it just made it just made me think about sometimes we have that sort of um different different um comfort levels perhaps both both as teachers and parents uh, you know sometimes it can be either i think in terms of when we teach things so it's it's always having at the forefront what are the needs of the children rather than what are the sensitivities of the of whoever's going to teach it and and building the confidence of the people teaching it that that they're doing the right thing i suppose absolutely um yeah and i suppose it's a you know thinking about those topics jenny road safety um and and puberty those are perhaps two examples of topics that schools or colleagues would often get external visitors uh, in, in to cover. And I think you mentioned external visitors earlier, Lucy, and, and we know statistically that they're a very popular resource for covering aspects uh, of the new RSHE requirements. 
Um, so what are the key things that colleagues need to be aware of if they do go down this route uh, with using external visitors? The first question to, to resolve is how will the external um, agency or visitor add value to the existing programme the school has planned um, to deliver um, for RSHE? And th there must be an answer for that. Um, if, if there isn't, it begs the question, why is an external visitor needed? Um, and there are some fantastic agencies out there who add such a lot of value to the school programme. Um, it might be because they um, have some specialist knowledge or link with a local health service. Um, that could be an important um, face for the children and young people to see because it may give further confidence to go and use um, a local um, health service. Um, it might be that they're going to bring in a particular faith or cultural perspective, um, and that can um, add an, another dimension to the programme and help to meet children and young people's needs. Um, it can also be a great experience for developing social and personal skills in hosting a visitor into the school, whether that's um, remotely or, or in the classroom, that that experience, those social skills can be really valuable. But no matter what, what the reason, it's very important that the agency is, is well known to the school and understood by the school, um, that um, there is some quality assurance and some checking that goes on, that they are, they are compliant with things like the equality duties, um, that they are a registered organisation, that their values fit with the school values, that there isn't some kind of um, hidden agenda there um, either. Um, or perhaps a commercial interest that hasn't really been exposed and, and needs to be um, factored in. Um, and then there's another question to ask, I think, about is the external agency best used in the classroom context to, to directly provide some of that, um, that teaching um, or education? Or do they have a role in helping um, teachers and other staff with their own skills and development in this area? Um, so it may be that their specialist knowledge could be best put to use in training um, teachers for them to then manage the teaching in the classroom. Um, and the teacher must always be the one who is managing the classroom in the classroom, um, not leaving an external agency um, to their own devices with this. That's not fair on, on any of the parties involved. And just if I can just chip in that a little bit there to what Lucy was saying, coming back to the sort of seeing visitors as a resource and thinking about age appropriateness and things. Um, as with any resource, I think we need to apply the same kind of principles. So thinking about will their input start from where your pupils are? Um, how will you know? How do you know? How will they know? Will they you know, will, do they actually understand that they need to kind of gauge the the, the starting point of the pupils so they do pitch it right and they're not um, giving a, a sort of age inappropriate input um, for for the pupils that they're speaking to if they are speaking in the classroom. So I think it, it's the conversations with them beforehand are crucial and um, anyone who has come unstuck in this will will agree i'm sure that you know, you as with it, you wouldn't put a, a new textbook in front of a child without looking at it first you know and so we wouldn't bring someone into the classroom without talking to them first about what they're going to say and and just making sure that um that we're pitching it right as we would with any other resource in the classroom um valuable though though their input can can be Great. Uh, I think we've mentioned in, in other episodes as well that an external visit should never be the only opportunity 
for pupils to learn about any one topic as well. Because if the pupils off sick for that day, then they could wind up missing out on you know important skills and knowledge. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's that's crucial, Sam. And you you want to make sure that you're preparing for their visit beforehand. Ideally, perhaps the children and young people can prepare the questions. Um, that are going to shape the session and that you're embedding the learning afterwards. So it's not a one-off. We know that one-offs have might be memorable, but the actual learning can can be lost if that's not properly embedded. And, you know, Lucy kind of talked about a lot of the things that schools can do in preparation for getting an external visitor in, doing research. But hopefully, you know, it won't happen as well for colleagues. But if, if things do go slightly awry uh, when external visitors are in schools delivering um, this content, this information, what what can teachers do in a worst case scenario? I guess in a worst case scenario, um, the the teacher has to take responsibility and and might have to stop proceedings, but we don't want to get to that point. Prevention is is the best here and Sex Education Forum have produced um, some checklists that schools can use if um, it's an agency that, that they're new to, um, to look for quality, to look for um, them, them being compliance. Um, and it's just that planning, being in a place where you've got a programme um, planned, you know why that visitor's coming in when they're coming in, how they'll add value, how you'll do that follow through, um, thinking about whether it is um, for, for entertainment or not because it shouldn't be purely for entertainment it's good for it to be memorable but it should meet a need an identified need having some caution around things like sharing personal stories as well there is a place for personal stories that it can be a really um, important part of learning and, and really reach a place that other other bits of the the teaching might not have done um, but it shouldn't be something that's going to be triggering or frightening or potentially to glamorize some aspect of someone's life experiences that wouldn't be um, an appropriate way through um, but, but bringing in a new perspective a different perspective it can add value and be, and be really useful um, and I suppose across the external visitors and other elements of the teaching and the resources I'm um, thinking about how um, children and young people's own um, lived experiences communities um, are reflected in those resources and choices is important as well because um, in external visitors um, and the choice of resources is an important um, part of children seeing themselves reflected in, in the resources chosen. And just to say, I highly recommend um, the checklist that Lucy mentioned. Um, we've also got some guidance on the PSHG Association website, but do I would I would highly recommend both of those as, as a good guide if you are so new to working with external visitors uh, in lessons. Great. Uh, and, and finally, it might just be useful if we spend a bit of time signposting colleagues uh, to resources that can help them to cover the new statutory content uh, in a safe and age appropriate way. Uh, now, I know both the Sex Education Forum and the PSHE Association have lots of things that might be helpful. So, Jenny, do you want to just run us, run us through a few of those things? 
Yes, I mean, there are a lot of resources out there now for all elements of relationships, sex and health education and the rest of PSHE education, obviously. Um, So it can be really hard, I think, to know where to start and where to look. So I would always say um, look for quality. This is a subject that if it's not taught correctly can do harm and resources can play a part in that. So we need to be really cautious. The Sex Education Forum signposts a huge number of resources for relationships and sex education and we at the PSHE Association um, have a quality mark that guarantees a resource bearing it meets our quality standards Um, so our two two, um, websites are a great place to start Um, we also write our own resources of course um, and list all of those and the quality assured resources in the programme builders so there there are plenty of places to look for um, safe effective resources but the the important point is that when you're choosing particularly lesson plans um just to remember that there is no one size fits all lesson or program for RSHE or PSHE education. And to be effective, any teaching resource must be tailored to the needs of your pupils and your school, whatever it is that you're using, as we were explaining earlier. And I think there are some useful questions you can ask yourself when you're looking at lesson plans. First of all, does this resource, does this lesson plan and its activities allow me to assess my pupil's starting point so that I can be confident that I'm starting from where they are and not from where the resource tells me they should be? Um, Does it include a range of participatory engaging activities? I'm sure we can all remember from our own school days how little we learn from just sitting listening. Um, The more we can get pupils interacting, the better. Does it follow safe practice principles? This is crucial in all elements of PSHE education, particularly around RSHE, um, as it does it refer to ground rules? Does it distance the learning? So it's not talking about you and your family. It's using scenarios and characters and, and stories. Is it avoiding shock tactics um, and anything that could inspire um, the very behaviours we're hoping to um, to prevent? And, and does it balance extending people's knowledge with developing their skills and attributes to put that knowledge into practice? We know that programmes that focus on knowledge alone um, are far less effective than ones that balance that important subject knowledge with developing skills and those personal attributes. And does it allow pupils to reflect on and demonstrate their learning and progress? Has it got assessment built in and we're not talking about testing and exams there but has it got assessment for learning has it got a baseline assessment just to add to that Jenny um, always be on the lookout for resources being up to date and medically accurate Um, for a topic like pregnancy choices that would be particularly important um, to see that it's it's relying on on medically accurate information for any aspect of sexual health Um, that's that's going to be extremely important it's also really important to check that resources are inclusive of all children and young people with respect to race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation and, and disability. Um, and that overall, the resources give a positive image of a range of people. And um, we fully endorse the PSHE Association Quality Mark for resources. That's something to, to be on the lookout for. And the Sex Education Forum will update you about new resources because it's quite hard to keep abreast of and the pace of new resources that are coming out. And I'd also just say to teachers that 
um, much as you want to um, buy or borrow or find resources to um, add to your to your program, don't forget that you are the best resource when it comes to teaching this subject. If you've been able to develop your skills, access high quality training, you will have the confidence to create and shape bespoke materials that meet the needs of your very particular um, children and young people's needs. Um, and I think um, something that you'll find from um, experiences of training is if you're able to handle a variety of resources um, and work with peers to critique those resources and get a feel of how you could use a resource, that is where you'll really kind of feel that you're excelling <laughs> with your confidence to, to kind of choose and, and develop your own resources. And also use your pupils as a resource. You know, if there was a particular um, sensitivity around a resource for teaching a particular topic, perhaps it's around the imagery in that resource that feels a particular sensitivity. You could just forget about using that resource and turn to your pupils and say, well, could you do some drawings about an aspect of growing up um, or an aspect of, of relationships? Could you write the stories? Could you write the scenarios? And then you will generate these resources um, from, um, from the work you're doing in the classroom. Um, so do have confidence that you are ultimately the best resource. And if I can just absolutely endorse what Lucy was saying, couldn't agree more. It's such, a, such an important point that some of the very best lessons are the ones that don't use um, a book or a, a published programme, but they start from um, the pupils' own ideas. They build on those ideas. They correct misunderstandings and so on. And, and, and where teachers have the confidence to do that, you can see some fantastic learning going on. And I think, it, as with all of these things, it comes back to training, um, accessing good good quality training so that you have the confidence as a teacher to um take responsibility for for your teaching and either adapt a resource or write it from scratch yourself um so i would thoroughly recommend that everybody um has some training before they teach rshe obviously should go without saying and um and do i mean obviously you know we offer training where you would you in the same way that sex ed forum does where you will get to handle resources and get to look at at different resources and discuss how you would adapt and use them so i think that's very very wise advice lucy couldn't agree more that was rshe ready thank you so much for joining us uh, I want to take this opportunity as well just to thank all of the guests that we've had on throughout the series. It's been really interesting and uh, I hope it's been helpful to all of you listeners out there. Uh, and remember, you can visit the Three Steps to RSHE Success webpage, uh, which features resources from all of the organisations that we've had on the series. So I'll link to that in the description. And finally, just to say good luck to all of you out there who are kind of at the coalface implementing this important statutory content in classrooms around the country. Um, I hope this has been helpful and uh, take care.